And this morning, we are coming to the book of Zechariah. Last week, we had the opportunity to to hear from Haggai. And as Haggai, um, well, he was a seasoned man. And God used him to deliver his message and spark enthusiasm in the hearts of the people as they would begin to build the temple again. One of the ones I'm sure the enthusiasm began to to spark and burn even brighter in was Zechariah. Zechariah is is a, a younger man. In fact, the scriptures go out of their way to mention his youth. I I want to pause there and just say, I appreciate our young people. I appreciate how how God uses our young people to minister in, in our church family. Whoa, there is a ringing. You guys hear that too? Yeah, me too. God uses this young man to deliver his message and continue with that enthusiasm. Zechariah's name means remembered of by God. How would you like that name? Every time someone calls your name, they're like, hey, remembered by God. That's a cool name. And Zechariah delivers a message to the people reminding them God has not forgotten them. God has remembered His covenant with His people. I want to pause there. When we we go through the Scriptures, I I love that song that we just sang, a, A Thousand Names. And there's so many different names by which we can can go to God and, and hold on to. But do you realize as you go through the pages of Scripture, we can also go through and see His promises. His promises to His people Israel. His promises to you and I, the church family. And God uses this man to relay his message, his plan for his people Israel. God has a plan for them. They've come back to the land. They they come back to a desolate land. But God's going to do a work. But before God is going to do this work, in the very beginning of the book, and this is an encouraging book uh, by all accounts, But God offers a very stern warning for them at the very beginning. Look with me at Zechariah chapter 1. I'll begin at verse 2 and it says, The Lord was very angry with your fathers. Therefore, say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return to me, declares the Lord of hosts, that I may return to you says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your fathers 
to whom the former prophets proclaimed, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Return now from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. But they did not listen. And give heed to me, declares the Lord. The fathers, your fathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But did not my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servants and the prophets, overtake your fathers? Then they repented and said, as the Lord of hosts purpose to do to us in accordance with our ways and our deeds, so he has dealt with us. You know, sometimes when you come and do these overviews of a book, you read passages and you're like, oh, I wish I could just do a sermon on that. Church, there is a danger when we live in the past. When we hold on to things in the past so much that it hinders us from moving forward and living today. But we must not forget the past either. We need to learn from the past so we can move forward and live as God has called us to live, as God desires for us to live. He's saying, don't forget this, but don't live there either. Don't use it as a crutch. Don't allow it to hinder what I want to do in and through you. And God uses this young man, Zechariah, to convey his message. They are going to be looking forward. It is a future mindset that Zechariah is calling the people to. He's saying, look ahead. Look to future generations He's calling them to prepare. Prepare for building the temple. It's interesting when you look at the dates of Zechariah and Haggai. Do you realize that Zechariah is beginning his messages right in the middle of Haggai's messages? These two are working hand in hand together. And as Haggai is very seasoned in life, Zechariah being young is going to continue on. And he's saying, guys, let's look to the future. I think sometimes the older generation needs to be willing to pass that baton on to the younger generation so that they can serve, they can go further. But the older generation, as Haggai, I am sure, did with Zechariah, is there to encourage, mentor, and, and help along. But he's calling them not to only prepare for building a temple, a building. And the building was important. We looked at that last week in Haggai. But to prepare for something even greater. And we see that message. God is calling them to prepare for worshiping the Almighty. Have you ever thought about that? There is a preparation that goes into worshiping God. Zechariah calls that. There is a preparation for future generations. We don't idly sit by and hope the next generation will worship and follow God. We actively, intentionally invest in them, prepare them to take it and go further than we ever could. 
And I appreciate our church, the way that we, we look to that younger generation. I appreciate the ones in there right now ministering to our kids. I appreciate those that come on Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and invest in the lives of our young people. Prepare for the coming Messiah. This book, oh, it speaks to the Messiah in such a powerful way. Zechariah often, I mean, how many of you can remember the last time you read Zechariah? All right, two hands. Great! It's a book that just gets looked over sometimes. And oftentimes we're like, I don't even know how to spell Zechariah. Right there, okay. All right? And we're like, well, he's one of those minor prophets. He's actually a fascinating, fascinating prophet to, to look through. As far as the minor prophets go, he's the longest of all the minor prophets. If you read the book this week, you understood. There was like, you're like, whoa, there's chapters and chapters here. Yeah, and as you look at it, it's the longest of them. But not only that, it is second only to Isaiah, which you know, had 66 chapters, so that makes sense. But second only to Isaiah in the messianic prophecy that is declared in this book. In fact, the Gospels quote Zechariah more than any other prophet. Did you know that? As you read through Zechariah, you're like, oh, that sounds familiar. Oh, I've heard that before. Yeah, in the Gospels. And Zechariah is preparing the people. His message is an encouraging one. And so as we look at this, God is going to convey a message through this young prophet to his people, but he conveys it in, well, not like Haggai. Haggai was very direct to the point and concise. Zechariah, well, there's some interesting things about Zechariah. Um, he uses a lot of different imagery. In fact, we're, we're going to look. There's eight visions that Zechariah has from the Lord. And each time God is like, do you understand what you've seen? And Zechariah is like, no God, I don't. And God explains. Now there's some things he doesn't explain, but for the most part, he explains those visions. And then the, the people ask a question of God. And there's four powerful replies that God gives them. And in very godlike form, he doesn't even really directly answer the question they ask. He goes deeper to the heart issue. But then, and both the, the visions and, and the, the replies, they occur while the temple is still being built. But then after the temple is built, God conveys two messages of two comings. To Zechariah it's exciting we see the the, the coming Messiah and, and the prophecies that ensue and, and this all occurs after the temple they're looking for something greater the, this whole book is preparing the people so in quick brevity I we're not going to read through like we did Haggai last week you got to hear the whole book of Haggai wasn't that great we're not going to do that this morning. You have to read it yourself for Zechariah. But, but in these visions, they're, they're, they're kind of split up. The first five, these first five visions here bring comfort and encouragement to the people. The last three, however, speak of judgment. 
And sometimes we just don't like judgment, do we? We don't like consequences. But the truth is, is that sin abounds in this world. Sin still abounded in the hearts of the people, in the nation of Israel, in the nations around them. And God is going to deal with that as well. So look at the first five with me. The four horsemen. And you're like, what? You wish I was going to go into detail, but we're doing an overview. You'll have to read it yourself. It's really exciting. But the four horsemen, God is speaking there that He will rebuild Israel. He will rebuild Zion and His people. It's a wonderful encouragement as they look around and they see rubble. Remember Nehemiah as he comes and they are beginning to rebuild the walls. But when they look around them there, they don't see that quite yet. But through that, that vision, God says, I'm going to rebuild. And then there's a vision of four horns. You're like, that sounds confusing. It was confusing to Zechariah too. So God explained. And Israel's oppressors are going to face judgment. And that would be encouraging. The ones that had done them wrong, who had gone too far in their abuse and hurt, God tells them, listen, I will deal with them. Aren't you glad that we have a God that cares? That is going to deal with those things? Maybe not in their timing, but in God's timing. And then there is a vision of a man with a measuring line. And he's out there measuring and God declares through that vision that he is the one that that will protect and bring glory once again to Jerusalem. Glory. Oh, one of these days I'm going to do a message just on the word glory and the glory of God. But it's God who's going to bring that. In fact, Rhonda, don't look for the slides. They're not on there. I, I, I want to read this. This is just an encouraging passage in Zechariah when you think about the glory of God coming look at what it says in Zechariah chapter 2 we'll begin in in verse 10 look at what it says sing for joy and be glad there is a song that comes in the heart of the people and God is declaring to them sing rejoice O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming, and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. What a promise! What a declaration! God Himself is going to dwell in their midst. If that doesn't bring a song to your heart, I don't know what will. And then He goes on, this this should spark a song in your heart. Listen, many nations will join them themselves to the Lord in that day and will become my people. This isn't just speaking of Jerusalem. This isn't speaking of just Israel. Many nations, all nations, they are going to be there. They're going to be worshiping God. How many of you look forward to that day? Oh, I do. Oh, I do. Every day I long for it more and more. Glory! And it goes on, Then 
I will dwell in your midst and you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. The Lord will possess Judah as his portion in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. As you contemplate this, as they would hear this vision and hear this message of God, it would strike such an awe in their heart, they would go silent. Wow! Wow, God! And then we go on to the vision of of the cleansing of Joshua. He's the high priest. Remember, we, we looked at him last week. And God does a cleansing work there. And it's, it's, it's an illustration of how God is going to cleanse His people Israel. How He's going to cleanse Jerusalem. And He's coming by the branch. We'll talk about the branch a little bit later. And then there's the golden lampstand that God's Spirit is, is the one empowering both Zerubbabel, not the king, The one in the kingly line, but not the king. He's the governor there, but he is the one. God's Spirit is the one who is empowering Zerubbabel and Joshua. Oh, the beautiful picture of that golden lampstand. And we look, and it's God who empowers. And then the three judgments, the flying scroll, a reminder that individual sin will be judged. See, it's not always just about the people. God cares about you and I individually. And individual sin will be dealt with. There's a warning there. Then there's a vision of the woman in the basket. And God is speaking to them and saying, your national sin will be dealt with. God cares about the direction of nations. We see in Romans that God is the one who appoints leaders and takes away leaders. We enter into 2024 not with anxiety or worry or stress. We go into 2024 going, praise God! He's going to work once again. You're like, but you don't know who's going to be in office. Nope, I don't. But I know the one who puts that person there and he is faithful and he cares about nations he also deals with nations be careful nations may get what they deserve and then the the vision of the four chariots going each a different direction not only as people Israel God is going to deal with all nations. Aren't you glad we have a God that is a global God? A universe God. In fact, He's one that measures the universe with the span of His hand. That's a big God. And we come here and we see that His judgment will be for all nations. Not one gets by His notice. Well, the temple is coming to near completion. 
The people are excited and the people have been celebrating these feasts and and doing different things. And one of them is during the feast they go and they fast. They withhold from food for a focus of prayer and, and, and focus on God. And in this fasting they ask a question of God. The fasting is for the remembrance of when Babylon came and crushed and decimated the temple. And so they would fast and remember this. And they're like, well, the temple's almost done. Do we need to do this anymore? And God replies, I I want you to look at at this. Turn over to to chapter 7. Chapter 7, verses 2 and 4. It says, Now the town of Bethel had sent Sherezer and uh, Regamelech, yeah, there you go, and their men to seek the favor of the Lord, speaking to the priest who belonged to the house of the Lord of hosts and to the prophets, saying, Shall I weep? in the fifth month, and abstain as I have done these many years? For the past 70 years in Babylon, they would do this. As they have come back into the land, they would continue to do this. Shall I weep in the fifth month and abstain as I have done these many years? Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to them saying, God responds, when, when they ask this question, God responds, and probably, you know, they were hoping for a yes, no. Yes, you need to continue. Okay. Or no, you, you can uh, stop doing that now. Okay. But in very God-like fashion, God speaks to the issue of the question. The issue of the people's hearts. And he says, first of all, Your rituals are empty. Good thing we can't relate to that anymore, right? Good thing that our rituals of coming on a Sunday morning and singing songs. Have you ever done that because it's just ritual? I have. I have come on a Sunday morning and my heart was not in it. My heart was not right with God. And I just went through the rituals. I've worshipped a lot of times. I've prayed to God just out of ritual. Have you ever prayed to God and not even, you get done, you say amen, you're like, huh, what did I just say to him? Remember who you're talking to. God says, your rituals are empty. Your heart's didn't mourn when you did this. You did it merely for show. The act. And I understand, we go through seasons where where we do that because we need to and we want to get back to that place. But they were there. And that's where they were stuck. And God says, prepare your hearts. 
Prepare your hearts for this worship. The second one, consider your past disobedience. So let me remind you of what you were like. Your hearts were hardened like flint, abrasive. But God looks and he says, listen, I I look for, I desire inner spirituality, not the external show. When we come and, and worship together, whether it be for a game night, that's fellowship, right? Whether it be for a Bible study, whether it be here singing songs to God or listening to His Word, engaging in Sunday studies in the discussion of His Word, is that for show? Or is it for worship? Our engagement with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ is an act of worship. It says it's a sweet aroma to God. And then he declares to them, I am restoring Israel. God says, don't look to your works. Don't look to your externals. I will be the one that will restore Israel. Look at what it says in chapter 8, verse 6 through 8. It says, thus says the Lord of hosts. By the way, if God says something like that, you better pay attention. Thus says the Lord of hosts, if it is too difficult in the sight of the remnant of the people in these days, those days, Will it also be too difficult in my sight? Have you ever looked at a situation, a problem, and you're like, this is too much. I can't do it. God loves those times. You know why? Because it's at those times we stop looking at ourselves and we look to Him. (laughs) Is it too difficult for Him? There's a small remnant Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I am going to save my people from the land of the east and from the land of the west, and I will bring them back, and they will live in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and righteousness. What a statement! God's going to do the work, and they will be His people. God's preparing them for the future, for what's coming. God says, I am going to recover joy in my kingdom. Joy. Look with me at at verse 19 of that same chapter. Sorry. There it is. Thus says the Lord of hosts, The fast of the fourth, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth months will become joy. 
They did them from sorrow. God is going to have them be celebrating, doing this in joy. It says not only joy, but look, it also says, if I can fly in my place, there, in gladness and cheerful, cheerful feast for the house of, the, of Judah. So love, truth, and peace. Wow. These celebrations will no longer look back and mourn. They will look at what God has done and they will rejoice. Thus says the Lord of hosts, it will yet be that the people will come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one will go to another saying, let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts. I will also go. So many peoples and mighty nations will come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Isn't it like God not to answer the question, but to reveal to them, look at your hearts, there is something much greater here. You're looking at an action and going, do we still have to do that? God's saying, I want your hearts. I want your hearts. And when we engage in this, it will become joy and gladness. The messages in, in chapters 9 through 14 declare something amazing. All the book begins to point to the Messiah. When we look at the two comings, the scarlet thread that we've been looking at throughout the Old Testament becomes very, very apparent in the book of Zechariah. God is coming close. It is getting close to His Son, His one and only Son coming. Throughout the Old Testament, we've been looking at this, and it just screams as we look at Zechariah. God is wanting the world, His people to understand. Prepare! My son is coming. Get ready. And it declares two different comings. In chapters 9 through 11, we look and we see the rejected Messiah. The tragedy that God would send the one that's promised and he would be rejected. It's there that we see that he comes humble and meek. Zechariah is the one that declares that he will come riding on a donkey presenting peace. Oh, but chapters 12 through 14. When the Messiah returns, when Christ returns, He will come back as a reigning Messiah. When He returns, He's on, not on a donkey. He is riding a white horse, victorious. And we see the King come, bringing glorious hope. We see Him in power and glory and majesty. We see Him as King. That's the second coming. Oh, and it's such a powerful picture. I want you to consider, and I wish we had time to look at all of these, but we're going to go through them in rapid succession. Here, I mean, the Messiah is all over Zechariah. Look at this. In chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, he is the angel of the Lord. In chapter 3, 8 and 6, he is the righteous branch. 
In chapter 3, 9, we see that he is the stone with the seven eyes. We see him as king, priest. Chapter 6. In chapter 9, he's presented as the humble king. King, yet humble. In chapter 10, he is the cornerstone. In chapter 11, we see him as the good shepherd. I love in John where Jesus just declares himself as the good shepherd. Referring back to Zechariah, but he is the good shepherd who is rejected and sold for 30 shekels of silver. The price of a slave. In chapter 12, he is the pierced one. As we come together around the Lord's table, we will remember him pierced for our transgressions, our sin. In chapter 13, He is the cleansing fountain. Oh, what an amazing thing that we can come to God and see one who cleanses. In chapter 13, He is the smitten shepherd who is abandoned by all. And in chapter 14, He is coming judge and righteous king. Throughout this book, Zechariah declares the Messiah. He declares Christ in such a powerful, vivid way. Holman states this about the book of Zechariah. He says that it shows that God can accomplish through individuals committed to obedience. He is calling His people to obedience in this book. And he says these exemplary persons of Zechariah the prophet, Joshua the priest, Zerubbabel the governor, these men foreshadowed the coming of the Messiah, the greatest prophet, priest, king ever. And Jesus embodies all of them. It's beautiful. When we get to Hebrews, he's more better. Because Jesus, the Messiah, is the Son of God. So we come to a book like Zechariah, written for a people, a nation, miles from here, thousands of years ago. How do you and I prepare today? Well, first of all, I want you to remember that God remembers His Word. God keeps His Word. He remembers what He says. Do you? When you come to the Scriptures, do you remember what He has declared to us? Do you know His Word? I'll tell you, these few minutes on a Sunday morning isn't enough. Do you know Him intimately? Do you even care? If not, there's no preparation. Church, just as much as Israel did then, you and I need to prepare our hearts. We need to prepare our hearts to serve Him and live for Him. Has it ever occurred to you that God actually cares about how you and I live? That God actually cares about how you act, not just here. We're good actors for a few minutes. 
But I'm talking about how we live and act day in, day out. Is it a lifestyle of worship? One that brings glory and honor to God. We need to prepare our hearts to prepare the next generation. Do we have an eternal mindset in the way that you and I live? Or do we just have today? Do we just have this month, this year? What a narrow focus. When God is opening up eternity, this is just the beginning. Yet we focus so quickly, so easily on the temporal when God is opening up eternity. Are we prepared to remember? We're coming to the Lord's table this morning to remember what He's done. Is your heart prepared? Do you realize that what Jesus did at Calvary, His death, burial, and resurrection, is what brings the opportunity for salvation to all people? It was no small act Don't come this morning to the bread and the cup with a shallow heart, with a heart not ready. Take time right now, if you need to go before the Lord to take care of something, I encourage you to do that now. Preparation is important. God was calling His people to that. I want you to take just a moment. Bow your head. Go before the Lord. If there is something that needs dealt with, deal with it now. Before we come to Him in this time. come to the Lord's table as Christ did that that night before his crucifixion there was the bread Christ would take that and break it as a picture of what he was about to do his body broken pierced for your sin and mine. When we come to the Lord's table, we remember that. Before they would partake together, the Lord offered up a prayer. I'd like to pray right now.
Gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you remembering what your Son did. That you would come as, as man. God with us. The Word in the flesh. And allow your body to be beaten and broken for our sin. God, we remember that this morning. And we thank you for doing what we could not do. The work that we could never do. God, we ask a blessing on this bread as we partake and remember it this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take it together. Scripture says in the same way, Jesus would take the cup. He took that cup. He declared there is a new covenant. The Messiah has come. There is a relationship He is inviting you and I into. And the cup was a, a picture of that covenant. The blood in which He would shed for your sin and mine. The covering of sin. I love the snow that's outside this morning. Every time it snows, it covers our land in a blanket of white. Our sin would turn our hearts black. But with the covering of the blood of Christ, the Lamb of God, Oh, it would turn it white as snow. He would offer a blessing on the cup. I'd encourage you to join with me as we go to Him. Heavenly Father, we, we remember that without the shedding of blood, God, our sins cannot be removed. So with the blood of Your Son, God, You have extended a gift to remove our sin. God, thank You. Thank You that You would love us so much. Now as we come to this cup this morning, we ask a blessing upon it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake together. Jesus would die. Three days later, He would rise from the dead. Victorious over death. He would ascend into heaven weeks later. But as He did, He gave you and I a promise. A promise that we see in Zechariah. A promise that we see throughout Scripture. That one day He will return. And He will return victorious. And church, we look forward to that day. The day the Good Shepherd will come. The Lamb of God who paid for our sins. The One who will sit on the throne of David and rule as King of kings and Lord of lords. He will return and we declare, Oh God, oh Lord, come quickly. Let's pray. 
God, we rejoice that there is a book that is titled Zechariah, a book that is titled that you remember. Oh God, this morning we want to remember you, we want to declare you, and we want to rejoice over you. God, we pray that as we leave here today that we would we would be that picture for the world to draw others to you. God, that we would remember you as you have remembered your word. And Lord, we look forward to your return. May we live to draw others to you so they too can look forward to you. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.